0: Please be seated. Around the turn of the 21st century, we see this fairly dramatic adjustment in the television industry. If you are a Gen Xer like I am, you saw it years before as MTV adjusted from music videos toward shows like the real world cramming teens and slightly post teens into one house and filming their relationships and their antics it is around the turning of the 21st century that we begin to fully inherit reality television if you're scratching your heads and wondering how and why did we ever get to this place in American culture, then I would tell you, follow the money. The television industry wakes up to the reality that um, they don't have to pay talent, that they don't have to pay huge production, unionized production crews to produce television shows that film real life scenarios they can just get people like you and me with uh to sign an nda and to sign um, our life away and bring cameras in to film our lives and we surround the television and watch it happen almost in real time no more uh, crews of writers and producers and directors just a few hacks with state-of-the-art television production equipment. In 2014, the History Channel makes even new ground when they green light a, a new show that um, takes reality television even down to the very next level, creating a show, a contest, where the contestants themselves film the footage that is ultimately shown on TV. I will tell you that during the pandemic, which was filled with large uh, uh, blocks of time, where I sat scratching my head, wondering how we would do church when we were separated one from another, I became addicted to this particular show. Maybe you've seen it, it's called Alone. The show itself puts 10 contestants in the middle of the wilderness. Prior to being placed in the wilderness, the contestants are given an option to choose 10 tools off a list of 40, and the show runs by having each contestant film themselves as they live life all by themselves amidst the challenging uh, scenario or context of wilderness and not just wilderness but wilderness in isolation so nobody is paying a cameraman except for the single crew that comes in and films the medical checks and ultimately the winner of the show alone I've binged watched several seasons of Alone over the course of the last three years. It's not something that I am particularly proud of, but I can tell you that the content has sucked me in. I sit on the couch or propped up on my bed watching what goes on as a bit of a social anthropologist, Looking at human, eccentric human beings trying to survive in really adverse conditions with very little food and no, no human connection. Over the course of the last two weeks, I've binge watched season nine of Alone. And let me assure you, it never ends the way that we might think it does when we are watching the beginning of the season. If you, like me, had watched the show, I would tell you that there's a bit of a formula like there is in all shows. But what I can assure you is it never ends in the way that we think it would end. What you see in the beginning of a season, maybe the first three or four episodes, is eccentric, wilderness-trained individuals scurrying about, trying to find a source of abundant, clean, fresh water to build a shelter that keeps them dry and mostly warm, and to find sources of food. Usually contestants survive off trout or salmon or grouse or squirrels, and in one season, the winner of alone survived because he killed with a primitive spear a muskox and was able to survive by smoking the meat of the musk ox to keep him alive as he outweighed the other contestants. Season nine brings the same curious folks as contestants, and the guy who emerges victorious at the end, I'm sorry, spoiler alert here on season nine, the guy who ends up victorious at the end of season nine is this curious guy named Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo grew up in Mexico. He spends the majority of his life out in the wilderness with his girlfriend, his partner, subsistence, surviving at different places. And Juan Pablo's dream is to win the half a million dollar trophy so he can go into the wilderness and buy a homestead and found a community for other like-minded, simple, survivorless, survivalist folks. The season never ends the way you expect it would end. Juan Pablo introduces a new strategy to alone that I had not seen in the prior eight seasons. He comes in. to To the beginning of the contest, 75 pounds overweight because he has been eating for the last 90 days like an offensive lineman. He is shoveling his mouth with food, and he also narrates the fact that twice a day he drank one cup of olive oil to really pack the calories on. And the curious thing about Juan Pablo's strategy is that he is not out expending calories hunting for food. He fasts for nearly the entire time he is in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness for 70 days and he loses almost a pound a day until the last day the camera crew rolls in under the guise that they're doing a medical check on Juan Pablo and they go through the normal routine and then they surprise him with his girlfriend who embraces him and tells him that he is one. The series never ends the way that you would think it would end. And that reminds me of this week's gospel. We have such a rich story, but with all of these stories, there's a story before the story. What you have heard in church today that starts with an exceedingly grumpy Jesus who turns over the course of a few verses to speak tenderly to the people is really like dropping you in to season nine, episode six. So I need to go back to episode one, the very beginning of the 11th chapter of Matthew. In the first verse, the story begins with John the Baptist sitting on death row He calls his disciples to him in his place of of fear and anxiety, and he says, I want you to go to the man Jesus, and I want you to ask him this question. Are you really the one we believe you to be? Is the question that John the Baptist sends out with his disciples in order for his disciples to inquire this reality from Jesus. And what we hear is not at all what we would expect. It never ends the way that we think it would end. Jesus has this wonderful response. He doesn't say, of course I am the Messiah. The Father is in me and I am in the Father, just like he does a few verses later to the people. He responds to John the Baptist because he knows who John the Baptist is. He responds to John the Baptist. He says, go and tell him, go and tell that man, your master who is sitting On death row, right at the threshold of his death, go and tell him that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the wretched of the earth know that they are beloved of God. It's this incredibly peculiar response that again turns the world upside down shatters our expectation of this idea of a warrior king messiah coming to defeat the world and to put his people on top blue ribbon five star platinum people lording their power over the rest of humanity no jesus says go and tell him that the blind see The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the wretched of the earth have come to know that they are beloved from God. And then there's this next beat, this curious beat, where Jesus continues to turn the world upside down. He says, damn to you, Chorazin, damn to you, Bethsaida. When we hear names of places in the biblical scripture, we know we're meant to wake up, that there's some some real intention when we hear the names of physical places. Chorazin, Bethsaida, the places where Jesus has spent the majority of his teaching and healing ministries you're not listening. The places where you were really supposed to see the power of God, the places where the story told us the power of God was supposed to emanate, you won't see it happening there. It won't happen in Paris. It won't happen in London. It won't happen in Hong Kong. It won't happen in San Francisco or New York. It'll be coming from Rock Springs, Wyoming, or Saratoga, Wyoming, or Chugwater, Wyoming. It will be coming, the power and love of God will be coming from a place you never expected. There's this beautiful moment where he says, even Tyre and Sidon, these enemy cities get it more than you get it. You just don't get it. And then he opens the next beat of the story, which we heard today. There's this prayer. Father, I thank you that it's the simple people who get it. It's not the fancy pants Parisians or Londoners or New Yorkers. Sorry, did I, I just offended a few people, didn't I? <laughs> it's the simple people of Wyoming who get the message of God. And then... There is this beautiful place, this beautiful passion, this beautiful paragraph that just turned my world over a few years ago, right about the same time that I began to watch the series alone. I was sitting in my office day after day, wondering, scratching my head, fretting, Anxious. How do we do this thing? How do we do this thing that we call church during a time when we can't be close to one another? And in my own study of the scriptures, I wandered into uh, Matthew 11, particularly when I read the Bible, the majority of the time I read it from this crazy translation that you have before you today. It comes from The Message, which was translated by Eugene Peterson, who was both a a pastor and a biblical scholar. He died up in Livingston, Montana a few years ago, which is why when you hear um, his version of the mustard seed story, he's very contextual. He talks about the pine nut, you know, just like someone from Livingston, Montana would right? That small seed that gives so much richness to creation. But I was reading this passage and I came along the last paragraph and I had to write it down because I just, I don't want to get it wrong. It's so beautiful, but it's just not what we would expect. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And the most beautiful line of the paragraph learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We spend so much of our lives churning and burning and earning so that we might end up on top. And yet this story that we have, this story that is so central to the embodiment of our faith narrates a very different experience. We don't get there by churning and burning and earning. We get there from a place of utter surrender. We don't arrive standing firm on our own two feet with our fist in the air, high-fiving each other. We arrive on our knees, Or maybe even more likely, flat on our face. You heard these beautiful words from Paul this morning. From the traditional translation, you remember he says, I do the very things I do not wish to do, and I don't do the very things I wish to do. Fast forward a couple verses. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death, period, beat? It is Christ Jesus. This way, this way that is in this story is the way forward for us as we seek to fully embody the faith. It's not by churning and earning and burning it is from a place of utter brokenness and surrender that we meet the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, the first time I encountered this passage is from the traditional translation of the liturgy. It's still in our prayer book, but we don't use it very often. It comes from the offertory sentence, from one of the offertory sentences, from the right one text. What I mean for those of you who aren't Episcopalians or not like super nerdy Episcopalians because you would have to be in order to know this or you would have just had to been there. It's the the thou liturgy, right? And it is at this place, this place standing in between the liturgy of the word, this part of our service, And in between the liturgy of the table, the communion, the relational part of the service, where the priest stands and reads that that traditionally translated line, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." It never ends the way we would expect it to end. The way, Jesus' way, is an upside-down way. And yet, we all are so drawn to the rest that Jesus promises. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Amen.